Warning! The following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and the subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. How beautiful is this church? It really is breathtaking. I don't know why I've waited so long to bring you up here. I mean, we've seen St. Patrick's Cathedral, Trinity Church, but now you're finally getting to see Riverside Church. This is really magnificent. I came here and sang with choir my senior year of high school. I was completely blown away when I walked in the first time. I can see why. New York City is home to some of the absolute most beautiful churches in the world. And one of them is right here in our backyard. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are going to be discussing the hit, biblical, hilarious show, An Act of God. So, hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Our show today is delivering a new and improved set of commandments as transcribed by the man we might call the Moses de Nojois. And the production, of course, being used for this is the comedy An Act of God. The uproarious comedy, which featured several acclaimed actors in the title role, delivered a more modern message from the great upstairs to Broadway audiences who were willing to receive the observations. But before we can get to the new good work, we need to lay our groundwork first. An Act of God is a play by David Javerbaum, and the play is adapted from Javerbaum's The Last Testament, a memoir by God. The play began as a series of tweets and a book before being written as a play. The show descended on Broadway at the Studio 54 Theater on May 28, 2015, and held service there 76 times before closing August 2nd, 2015. This is the perfect time to introduce our design team. Playwright David Javerbaum, director Joe Mantello, scenic designer Scott Pask, costume designer David Zinn, lighting designer Hugh Vanstone, projection design Peter Negrini, Sound design, Fitz Patton, and music by Adam Schlesinger. The show returned to Broadway at the Booth Theater for a limited engagement starring Sean Hayes. The production began on June 6th and closed on September 4th of 2016 after 90 performances. Hayes previously performed in the play at the SHN Golden Gate Theater San Francisco and the CTG Amundsen Theater Los Angeles in February 2016. The show would then be translated into Spanish and make its debut abroad at the Julio Prieto Theater in Mexico City in 2017. Another international production opened in 2018, this time in Australia. So let's see what the revised tablets hold in store. 
one with the first and last word on everything has finally arrived to set the record straight. After many millennia, and in just 90 minutes, God, assisted by his devoted angels, answers some of the deepest questions that have plagued mankind since creation. The, the end. end. So now let's talk about the parts of the show that we liked or maybe we thought could use some more improvement. I want to start by saying I know that was a very short synopsis of the show, but I, I mean, it it perfectly embodied what this show is about without giving away like, you know, what are the new commandments that are brought to us. To me, the show was quite funny and enjoyable. Jim Parsons was fantastic in the role of God, and I love the clever assistance from the two angels who, if you don't know who they are, and we'll get into them later, I mean, one most notably known for his performance in Police Academy, and the other is an hilarious stage actor who would later, you know, you'd recognize from Waitress or The Revival of Company. This felt more like a stand-up comedy special or an extended monologue rather than a play, which was incredibly different than anything we had ever seen before, especially that season. Right, well, because this... this What's his bucket? David Shaverbaum. He worked for The Daily Show. He won Emmys writing for The Daily Show. So this, I will say, this play does tend to read a little bit more like a skit rather than a play. But I think it's because of the subject matter that it kind of lends itself to that, which is what makes it brilliant. Right. The, the majority of the show is spent with God talking to the audience. Almost, basically, there is no fourth wall. Literally talking to the audience, eliciting responses, and building on those responses. There are points and things we have to cover and talk about, but you know, that's the these commandments and these ideas and some of these these social commentaries? Yes, of the of the day though is the important thing. Were really, really brilliant. Then you bring in the angels, you know, who help make it feel more like a play because then we have two more characters that exist in the space and don't have as much interaction with us. And that reminds us, oh yeah, there is a play, there is a structure, we are playing within a thing, rather than just having someone get up and riff for 90 minutes. Though the play was quite funny, it also brought up some very legitimate points regarding religion, and particularly the current interpretation. You know, the discord and assumed differences between us all, providing a humbling and unifying message at a time when it was needed, which is strange to think since it was nine years ago and it's like, oh boy, <laughs> we might not have received that message as well as we should have. But it used that element of humor to break the walls down and talk about funny things, but then also slip in these, oh, and by the way, have you noticed, you know, and, and maybe you'd be aware of, and you found yourself, I mean, I hate to use this term, but you found yourself laughing and learning. Yeah. And I think that this is a great segue into our set because I think the best way to describe the overall experience was like being on a talk show with God <laughs> or if church was set up like a talk show, All like, right, kind okay. of like Oprah. You know what I mean? I get it because a giant backdrop was a giant O. No, <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think it was an incredibly simple set that served the purpose of keeping our attention hyper-focused on the lead character of God. You know, there was that giant circle piece in the center, 
And in the center of it, uh, and I say center stage, I mean, it was huge, but then in the center of this like circle, this tunnel, if you will, there were the new 10 commandments. And every time God would address it, they'd light up as they went down. Mm-hmm. And it almost acted the way it was built and lit, like the tunnel with the light at the end of it. Right. You know, which I was like, ah, clever. Like there were, there to me, there were Easter eggs hidden. Whether that was Scott Pass's intention or not, who knows. I also love the stairs that led from the commandments down to the couch. Where pretty much all the action took place, which I love. Again, I love that idea that you mentioned about the talk show. Because, yeah, God just sitting there on the couch, holding court, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the same thing. It presents the same idea of why do we watch talk shows? It's to watch the person talking and hear how they interpret the universe. So for us to be watching the Christian-centered God, to you know see him sitting on a, on this couch and talking to us like he's preaching to us, I think is you know, but from a more modern take, I think is absolutely brilliant. I think that it is the easiest way to instantly draw in your audience, regardless of their religious background. And it kind of built on the, I don't want to say cartoonish, but maybe the common idea of like what you, what it happens when you die, when you go to heaven. You know, of course we have the, you know, you go down the tunnel to the light and then talking about ascending stairs to heaven where you meet St. Peter or you meet God. I just love that at the bottom of these stairs, there's the couch and there's where God sits. And it's like, oh wait, so when we die... We go through the tunnel, and on the other end where the light is, we walk down these stairs, and there's God, and we can just, like, sit down and have a chat and be like, so let's talk about what I just went through, you know? Yeah. It was a clever design, and I'm, again, I'm not sure if they meant for these double meanings, but I got them. And besides all that, it was the stereotypical color palette we associate with heaven, with basically everything white, white, pure, heavenly, you know? I thought that was really nice. I feel bad for anyone who had to keep that set clean. White is just so hard to keep clean. But I just, I appreciated that, you know, that in acting with the light was this perfect common idea of what heaven might look like, you know? Yeah. And and the last thing I want to say about set, and it's just because maybe I'm a man child, but I love that the chalice that God drank out of, this chalice, this cup, really, it it looked like the Holy Grail. You know, and I thought, are they yeah. signifying? Are they giving a nod to the idea of holy grails, of holy icons throughout history, you know? Why could... it With the way that the show was presented, the way that, that God was talking and everything like that, I just thought, why doesn't God just have like a coffee cup that's like, you know, world's best dad or something, you know, heaven's best dad or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Instead, they gave, gave him a chalice. And I was like, that's a choice. And as a man-child, I'm giggling at that. So, should we go on the costume at this point? Yeah, I think that the costume was very much like business... Business, business heaven. Yeah, business heaven. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very simple, but it didn't need to be much more than that. I mean, the angels and God were costume in white, which I think is what everyone envisions them looking like, you know, full white with the wings and everything like that. Although I don't believe they had halos. So we didn't get those, but we saw with the giant wings and the white, we knew exactly who they were. Right, and there were hints of gold to imply whatever gold simplifies. But I want to build on what you're saying, because the one interpretation on this look that was 
interesting was the fact that the the angels were in suits. They weren't in these robes like we sometimes see them in the cartoons or the movies. They were in like business suits. Like this is my job. I have something to do. You know, I am. I'm Gabriel reporting for duty and da, 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 you know what I mean? Like this is yeah. their day-to-day job. And I was like, that's a clever interpretation to put angels in pretty much what we think, color, shape, but then it's like suits. And then pairing that, you know, with God who was in this flowy draped white gown, you know, mm-hmm. of course with the belt, the, the rope belt around the middle, but, but underneath, and we could see this where, Jeans, sneakers, like modern day dress. It almost looked like Jim Parsons walked on. They threw a, a gat, like a this white cloth over him, and then he went on, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, it more symbolized the idea that you know God is like man. He did create man in His likeness and His image, and I was like, you've you've just become relatable. Not just this, you know, you're not just this this being, this huge being that is so far above me but now i can actually connect with you because i see maybe you're just a powerful man of some sort you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i thought that was a really interesting choice to do that yeah and i think i don't know i have a interesting relationship with this kind of play to begin with just because i think that there's so much that you can determine and try to infer as to what is being said through the different design elements, especially if you boil it all down to an idea of what kind of God is this? And I don't mean like, you know, is God nurturing or hateful or spiteful or eventful or whatever like that? I think it goes into, you know, it kind of questions into what you physically believe or what you mentally believe in for a godlike person. And I think that this story has one way of putting it, but because of all the room for interpretation that they left open, you can get a lot more out of it than maybe what was intended. Well, I think that's the purpose of the show. I really do. I, I, I think that it was meant to spur conversations among people like us who have different views or approaches to this topic, you know? The idea that these are the new commandments. I mean, you ask any religious person and no, there are no new commandments. We're still waiting. But this idea and the commandments that were kind of given forth were like almost like no brainers. They were built off of the original commandments. They were just modernized and it led to conversations among people. And then like we're having right now. Oh, I saw this Easter egg. I saw this hidden significance. Who knows how many different things people caught and they were like, this is what this meant to me. And to me, that is religion, though. That is literally religion. And so it was interesting how, was it art imitating life or life imitating art? Which was a smart thing. And you see that in these design elements. Which leads me to lights. Mm -hmm. Great lighting. Again, felt more like an intimate evening with the lead character and less like a play. I like the use of the cool tones and the colors. So this is what I was building on off of set. The set was primarily white, but we had these hues of blues and purples and some golden in there, right? These were calming, tranquil feeling colors, but with the brightness of the, you know, we always have some form of base lighting, that white. You could tell this was going to be a comedy. 
but we still were at ease. That was a nice thing. It wasn't a black backdrop in a single spotlight or red lights or something. Maybe more of the creative colors. It was like, we're just going to chill and have a fireside chat. And you might find my dad jokes very humorous. That kind of thing. It really put you at ease. So it made the show just feel nice and bright and, of course, comedic. Yeah. And I think... I don't really think I have anything to add to that. It felt heavenly. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> well, then let's wrap up this first part with our direction. I thought the piece was directed beautifully. I, I, I It's weird <clears throat> to think, but one-man shows were not as common on Broadway as we have seen, you know, since post-pandemic, if you will. Uh-huh. So to hold our attention with... Such minimal action and characters was a testament to the script, to the performers, and the director's vision. One-man shows are not new. They weren't new in 2015. They're not new today. They've been happening for a long time. It's the one-man show on Broadway. You tend to have maybe one a season, maybe two, depending on who the person is. But we see it a lot more post-pandemic because obviously smaller casts, whether it be for health reasons or money reasons, with this show, I mean, it reminded me a little bit of Bette Midler in I'll Eat You Last because Jim Parsons basically sat on a couch for 90 minutes, got up a few times, interacted with, the, you know, the angels, but sat on a couch for 90 minutes and talked to us. To be able to hold the audience's attention and engage with them from that position for that long, that's an incredible, incredible feat. And not only is that a testament to the performer's abilities, but also the directors to make sure that the pacing is right, that certain moments are hitting just right, or you do you under you know, making sure that everything is being communicated as it needs to be. Right. And I think what I really want to say about this show is because I feel like it's been really hard to get our listeners this idea of what this show kinda was as far as like was it a political piece? Was it a satire? Was it a like a commentary. And I found this article on theatermania.com by Barbara McKay, written on October 17, 2017. And it's about the theater, the signature theater production of Act of God. And she says, you know, in definitely condensing what she's saying, but she talks about how in the first part of the show, God does a lot of basically telling people like how sick he is of people. You know, and that people are taking advantage of him. He's tired of those command. He's tired of the current commandments. Wants new ones because people keep trying to use his name to justify their bad deeds. You know, and I think that that really is a great conversation piece. And I think that gets at the heart of what this show is: is talking about what we know about the Bible or what we've read about the Bible, and breaking it down from the person who supposedly had said the things. But specifically, this is the thing I want to read. An act of God won't stand up to any serious analysis, dramatic or theological. It's a mental romp around the Old and New Testaments refracted through a gay sensibility, and it doesn't pretend to be anything more than that. Still, it is better entertainment than you'll find in most television sitcoms. So I think that you know, while we're digging into this and doing our due diligence of trying to give you an idea of what we experienced with the show and what this show is about, I think this is one of those few pieces that I would say, before you can begin to even judge it, read it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really, really, really good point there. The last thing I want to say about the direction is I think that the balance of jokes versus the serious piece of discussion were perfectly spaced and perfectly balanced. We spoke on timely and challenging ideas while not losing the fact that this was still a comedy. Like like you just mentioned, it felt still like a, one of the best sitcoms you've ever seen. But still, it was addressing things. It just wasn't fluff. There were real things we were talking about while laughing. And that's a testament to Joe Mantello. Joe Mantello did a great job of making this feel less like a lecture and more like a conversation. But Joe Mantello is a great director, so of course, you would expect nothing less. The show has had several notable performers, including Jim Parsons, Tim Kozarinski, Christopher Fitzgerald, and Sean Hayes. about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. This, in my opinion, was not a hugely impactful show on either front, but starting with theatrical impact, I mean, it's an interesting interpretation of an iconic religious piece, that being the Ten Commandments, which I think also ties it into societal impact, you know? Mm -hmm. I think one of the societal impacts, but well, the only one I can think of is while making the audience laugh, it also addressed some hard truths and made us look inside and reevaluate some of our values and our beliefs. Right. Well, and I also, I think that the, the other societal impact that it brought is the fact that it took this idea of a series of tweets, because what are tweets other than, you know, 160 characters of a thought? And what would happen if God was really tweeting out into the universe? And what kind of a world would that mean? Or on the other side, looking at it and making a commentary on people who take other people's tweets and say, oh, this is, this is law, this is what I believe, and how silly that would be. You know, we wouldn't do it for God because God wouldn't come to us like that. So why do we do that with these false idols? I think that it's a it's a great commentary that can be either or. And so I think that, yeah, you can't separate the societal from the theatrical in this because also the concept of taking tweets and turning them into something that is being dis like performed to people rather than people reading, I think is really interesting. And I think that's what makes us unique. I love that, yes. And that leads to our final question, which is, is this show still relevant? To me, the show is a good time. And the message, while being hilarious, also has moments of great importance. Because of its production size, it's perfect for community, regional, and even collegiate theater. It's a cast of three. It's a very simple set. This is not... There were no set changes, you know what I mean? So this is very perfect for the low budget, low number of cast member kind of thing. It's even perfect for off-Broadway. And even though now more than ever, it seems that religion and religious ideas appear to be one of the biggest things dividing an already agitated society, I think there are better works and voices that can deliver the same, if not similar message. And these voices and artists deserve a chance at, at the table, at the plate, you know. So in regards to Broadway, this is a no for me right now. 
I agree. I think that this show, as it stands in the timeline of theater and society, I think is a great building block. It has. It will create many more paths for other people to take it and run with it. And so we don't think this is something that needs to be done again on the Broadway stage. But like you said, taking the show and having it in smaller communities and letting it inspire the next voice to come out of it to get something bigger and more more defined, I think is really the purpose that it serves. And so I think relative to our understanding of our craft, I think this is a, is, is a beautiful pillar stone in, in theater history. But I don't think that it's something that need, like you can stand on the stone, but I don't think we need to move the stone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. So we had the good fortune of seeing the show one time back in 2015, of course, on Broadway. And it was a fun, it was an afternoon, it was a matinee, and it was a fun time overall. It was, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't know what to expect going in. I just was like, oh, it's Jim Parsons. Like, this will be fun. And it was obviously marketed as a comedy it was like one of those summer shows they bring in. You know, it's this big name, simple show. It fills the theater for the summer. And, and it's it was fantastic. I also loved at the end of the show, when we did the Kiss and Cry line, getting to meet Tim Kazarinski, who, that's the guy from Police Academy. He's the one that has the glasses on that it's like he's trying so hard. The nerdy guy, but like everything goes wrong for him. And he is an absolute comedic genius. If you haven't seen the Police Academy films, go check him out. He's great in them. And then, of course, meeting Christopher Fitzgerald after the show. This was the first time we got to meet him. It was not the last. But both of them, adding to Jim Parsons' effervescentness, uh, his just overall ennui, if you will. <laughs> that, that just essence. All three of them, their chemistry on stage were fantastic it just really created a good energy a good buzz so getting to meet the two of them were amazing we did not get to meet jim parsons sadly it was the second time we've seen him on stage the first of course being in the normal heart where he was brilliant he didn't come out which is not uncommon for for bigger stars especially on a two-show day but he did send out signed playbills to anyone who was at the stage door. So that was cool that we were, I was like, oh, look, we have an autograph from Jim Parsons. Like, that's amazing. It would have been nice to be able to thank him, but I completely understand. When you've got a whole show and that many people for 90 minutes, it's exhausting. So I was not at all bitter or mad. I was like, take a nap. You did great. You earned it. You know, thanks for thinking of us. That was amazing. But I, I had a really good time with this show. You'll be able to catch an act of God near you, hopefully, sometime soon. We also want to remind you that you can now become a producer and patron of the show by getting your backstage pass or leaving a monthly tip in our tip jar. Information about our backstage pass can be found at patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. So until next time, 
I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hopeford. Reminding you to turn off those cell phones. Unwrap your candies. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by The Good Lods and Billy Murray.